You're listening to the Elvis Ultimate Fan Channel Podcast, the channel that is devoted 100% to the life and career of the biggest selling recording artist of all time, with your host, Steve Francis. Hello and welcome to Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel. A reminder before we dive into this week's episode for you to join me every Wednesday and Sunday for my live stream shows on YouTube, where there is Elvis Chat, Fan of the Month Quiz, and my Elvis Song of the Week. My special guest today is Elvis fan Andrew Heiler. Andrew is on the line now to speak to me about becoming an Elvis fan and how an unfortunate series of events brought him to a very dark time and how Elvis's voice literally saved his life. Hi, Andrew, and you're very welcome to the show. Thank you, Steve. I really appreciate your opportunity. Now, uh, could you just tell us, for the listeners, uh, obviously from your accent, a lot of people will realize that you're based in the U.S., but where about are you based in the U.S.? Yeah, I'm um, born and raised in Virginia. Um, I was born in a little teeny town called Iron Gate, and I currently live in Roanoke, Virginia. And um, I've lived a little bit in North Carolina, but um, kind of the east coast of the United States is where I've been most of my life. Elvis did quite a few uh, concerts in Roanoke uh, during his lifetime. Yeah, yeah. He was here um, a couple of times in the 50s, and also um, he came through on train um, during his Army travels. And um, then in the 70s, he was here in, I want to say it was 72, 74, 76, and then he was due back August 77. So um, he kind of enjoyed Roanoke, and um, I've heard you know stories about him visiting the Mill Mountain Star because we have a star on a mountain that lights up at night, and just little stuff that you know yeah. he got around and did some tourist stuff so here in the area. So you know that that connection to Elvis and the building you know is still used. So every time I walk in there for a hockey game or a concert, I can't help but think about Elvis. Yeah. Well, uh, you're probably familiar with the uh, film uh, Elvis on Tour, and you know the part. Oh, yeah. You know the part where the mayor is uh, giving him a floral guitar. Well, I, I believe that was filmed at Roanoke Airport. It's it's on his plane, I believe, and uh, so that that, that so it, it featured in Elvis on Tour. Roanoke did. Yeah, and, and you know, that's such a great little piece, and you know, he winks at the camera and all. Now, you weren't initially an Elvis fan, were you? You you kind of came late to the party, didn't you, I think? I, I did, I did. I was, I was about uh, 16 years old before I, I finally, the light kind of shone on me. As a kid, um, my mom was a big Elvis fan, mm -hmm. and my, I found out later on that my grandparents were as well, and... Um, Every chance she got, she would watch, you know, an Elvis movie on TV. Every time we'd go on vacation, we'd wind up, you know, going to a little museum. Or if there was something Elvis-related, we'd stop and see it. And um, I just always dismissed it. You know, here's this good-looking guy singing these silly movie songs and getting the girl. And I think it was probably a little bit of jealousy, to be honest with you. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I just, it, it, I never made the connection. And I think because my mom and, and so many others were into him, I, I kind of bucked the trend and just said, yeah, you know, that, I respect him for what he did, but, you know, I'm not really a, a big fan. And I never really was exposed enough to all of his other body of work to really give him a fair shot, you know. Mm -hmm. And then in 1997, it was on the 20th anniversary of his passing, wasn't it, that you kind of, as you say, the spark finally lit? Yeah, it finally happened. You know, it was very odd. School hadn't started yet, and my life was football. So at the time, I was, um, you know, going to practice and preparing for the football season, and they were, you know, commemorating the 20th anniversary on VH1 television here in the U.S., and um, the 68 comeback special was coming on. So I just went in my room, closed the door, and, you know, sat down. And I watched the entire special. And um, by the end of it, you know, I was very impressed. And his, um, whether it was his presence, his voice, the emotion in songs like Memories and If I Can Dream, mm. you know, I felt something changing in me. I was like, wow, this is, this really is not bad. I'm like, this is pretty awesome, actually. And, you know, I, I've always, always had been a music lover. 
but I never had really found that artist or that band that I could say, oh, yeah, that's my music. You know, I just kind of loved music in general. Hmm. So when he showed up that night on television and I gave him a chance, you know, I, I was so impressed. And I, I thought to myself as the credits were rolling, you know, I'd love to see something else. And then all of a sudden, you know, my wish was granted, and VH1 said, okay, up next, Elvis Aloha from Hawaii via satellite. <laughs> and wow, when that came on, 2001 started up, and then the opening riff, and he walks on that stage in that American Eagle jumpsuit, mm. and Charlie puts the, you know, the guitar on, and he goes to the mic. The rest is history. I mean, he, I was in a trance for the next 60 minutes. He um, he's just so damn cool, isn't he? Basically, it it, it was it, it was just a mate. I was sitting there watching something, and I was like, "It's flashy, but it's not too flashy. It's just him. It's not a group. It's not backup singers. I mean, you know, backup dancers, things mm. of that nature. Mm. He, you know, it's just him and his group, and you know, the jumpsuit, the rings. But at the end of the day." All that played second to that amazing voice. Mm. I mean, just the voice is what just captivated me. And songs, you know, my way blew me away. Mm. And then a few songs later, you know, it's over was, you know, I just love that song, still do to this day. Mm-hmm. And then What Now My Love just blew me out of the water. And by the time we get to American Trilogy, <laughs> I'm sitting there with goosebumps all over, you know, thinking to myself, I've got to get to the store. I've got to buy this man's music. You know, it was almost like love at first sight, but in a musical standpoint, I was like, man, you know, not only is he a great looking dude, is this a great um, performing and charisma. I mean, I could feel his charisma watching it on the television screen. That's right. So, and then on top of that, you know, the quality of the music, the sound and his voice and everything combined it finally clicked and i was like wow this is someone that i've got to um listen to and learn about and this may be the guy and luckily it was i mean you know i'm very grateful to vh1 i'll put it that way yeah 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 they used to do that they used to do that every january the 8th and august the 16th but they kind of stopped doing it now unfortunately they used to have an elvis day I remember they used to have an Elvis Day. Yeah, yeah, well. you know they were doing it regularly for quite a while. Yeah, you know. But uh, I mean, if I was to watch uh, Aloha from Hawaii again tonight, I would still get those same feelings—the goosebumps and everything. Even though I've seen it so many times now, it never fa- it never fails to 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 move me. Another favorite, actually. I know we've mentioned My Way, It's Over, What Now, My Love, and of course American Trilogy. Actually, American Trilogy was probably one of the best ones he ever did. Uh, on the Aloha, oh, yeah. I think. But uh, I've I've also got a soft spot for his performance of "I'll Remember You" that night. That was just such you a, know what? Yes. a great a great performance yes, that I, night. My my mother loved that um, rendition and that concert as well. And after he hits that you know note, or I guess changes the note, and he kind of looks over and smiles. Yes, my mom would you know oh that is so sexy and that's so amazing yeah. you yeah. know yeah and um. That's always been a special song um, in our in our family, and yeah, that that performance would you know knock me out too. And even you know some of the more regular songs, whether it be "Burning Love" or "Can't Stop Loving You" or whatever, the voice just constantly kept me in that trance, and I wanted to hear more. I mean, it, it, I never had had a, another artist do that to me. Yeah, there was always that little bit of interaction between him and the backup singers, the Sweet Inspirations and J.D. Sumner and the Stamps Quartet. It was all, he was always kind of glancing over at them. You can see it a lot in Elvis on tour as well. Uh, there was always that little repartee between them, wasn't there? And of course, you, you can't take your eyes off him. <laughs> you know, I'm sure they were just the same, oh, no. same as us. Oh, no. and, you, and I got the impression, even with Aloha, and I'm obviously being a little bit more polished and a little bit more nervous, mm. you could even tell there he was just simply enjoying himself yeah you know no matter what he was he liked what he was doing and interacting with the group like you mentioned and all forms you know where he could be with his friends this group of fellow musicians and put on this amazing show for everyone and i think it was just enjoyment and i and I, I always felt like i could read that in him you know from 
the early shows all the way to, to 1977, I think there were moments where he would give you that smile, whether it be to an audience member or to James or, you know, a backup musician or whatever, and it would make you smile. Mm. Yeah. So uh, um, he had that ability. His uh, uncle Vester actually said that uh, he believed there was two Elvises. There was a private Elvis, and then there was an Elvis that was on stage, and he couldn't believe the transition in his nephew you know, from the Elvis he knew just driving through the gates and, and, you know, talking at Graceland. And then when he first saw him live on stage, he couldn't believe the, the, the transition. And I believe that Elvis was the happiest, especially in the 70s. He was at his most happiest when he was on stage. Oh, yeah, I, I, I really agree. And from what everything I've saw and all the research and books and, you know, CDs and et cetera, you know, I really feel like, wow, that's where he... I almost feel like that's where he could breathe the mm. easiest. And that's where he he was able to kind of de-stress as much as he was concerned about putting on an amazing show for his audience. You know, I really feel like that's where he, that was his therapy, was getting on stage and, and performing. Yeah, he lived for it, I think. Now, Yeah, um, I really do agree. Uh, the next two years, after the, the, the shaft of light hit you and you realize what you are missing... <laughs> <laughs> what what happened what happened then from 1997 to 1999 well you know i, I started pretty heavy into um start collecting his music um i started off buying every cassette and cd i could even before i had a cd player and um you know was collecting his music listening to everything i could learn about elvis and though i was no expert i really was you know starting to finally get the full picture from the Sundays all the way to, you know, 77. And um, there wasn't, you know, anything that I didn't appreciate, whether it was, you know, music soundtracks or the concerts or studio recordings, et cetera. So I was extremely, you know, I, I became a true diehard Elvis fan during that period of time. But in my personal life, um, outside of, you know, learning about Elvis and stuff, mm -hmm. I had a lot of things drastically changed personally for me between 16 and 18 and um that was i'm glad i had elvis because i mean that that you know it was a lot going on in winter of actually you know i guess i'd say yeah it was late 97 um i'd gotten injured playing football i played for my high school team and um i was a junior in high school at the time and uh i had a you know scholarships were being talked about and colleges were coming to see me play things of that nature. And my dreams were always to, you know, hopefully get a scholarship, play football and maybe even go professional one day. And if I wasn't going to do that, I'd always consider following in my father's footsteps and joining the U S military and becoming a United States Marine. So that was kind of my dreams. And that's, you know, what I was very focused on when I, wasn't listening to Elvis or taking private time. You know, it was football and and the future. Mm -hmm. And we were in the playoffs, and I and I go up for an interception um, against the other team. And um, as I'm coming down, the other receiver um, he comes back towards me as I'm intercepting the ball, and he hits me in the back of the neck and back of the helmet with his helmet. And I don't think it was intentional. It was just wrong place, wrong time. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I knew something had happened. And uh, I lost consciousness. And I woke up about three days later. And they proceeded to tell me that my neck was broke. You know, a real shock. Yeah. I and, it um, and it, you know, at that age and everything going on, you know, I just never foresaw that. I thought I was indestructible, you know. Mm -hmm. And I just thought, okay, nothing, you know, I can do anything out here now. I'm Superman. <laughs> you know, I got colleges looking at me. You know, I had a little bit of an ego, I'll, I'll admit. And um, so it was it was humbling, but also, you know, a really life-altering situation. And not to dwell on it, but just to kind of give you um, the final result in that, um, I was told that, the fracture would never really, it would heal, but I would never get full function of the neck back. Mm -hmm. And the and the disc in the back above the vertebrae that was fractured um, was out of place. 
And though I went through rehabilitation and things of that nature, um, it would never be 100% again. And um, that really upset me. And um, I told my mom and dad, I said, if I can't play football, and if I'm going to have to sit here with a halo hooked to my head, you know, a device to, you know, keep your head straight and yeah. still while the neck heals, mm-hmm. I don't want to go back to school. So um, my mom and dad understood because they knew my, my love and my life was football at that time. So, uh, you know, I homeschooled, finished high school kind of early. Um, unfortunately, you know, my relationships with my friends deteriorated and my girlfriend and me, um, we broke up and things of that nature just because we were in two different worlds. Mm-hmm. You know, I was at home going through rehab and, and trying to get well while they were living the typical, you know, high school life. Mm-hmm. You know, at home, taking my medication and and just simply trying to figure all this out. And then as 1999 came around, um, I was still in the middle of rehab and healing. And of course, something like that when it happens, not only does it affect you physically, but at that age in particular, in my opinion, it really affects you emotionally and mentally as well. And so, uh, you, know, you, started... you were, uh, they gave you quite strong pain medication as well, didn't they? Didn't they, didn't they I think? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's very odd. I know um, they, they give you something very strong, but yet uh, anything they give you like that, you can definitely be dependent on. And mm. I don't want to draw any comparisons to Elvis or anything, but they gave me Demerol. You know, at first uh, it was needed, and I was very thankful for it to, you know, take the pain, uh, you know, some of the pain away as the healing process continued. But I found as 99 approached and my neck was beginning to heal the best it could, I should say, that I was beginning to use the Demerol to um, treat my emotional and mental state more than I was my physical. Mm. And that's when I knew. And looking back, Steve, I, I see that. At the time, I didn't really. I'll be honest with you. But, but I was really, I think, at a point where I was using it more to just excuse escape you know real life yeah so what would i do i'd go you know to the pill bottle say my neck was hurting and take another pill Mm. you know that's kind of a vicious circle and like i said at the time i wasn't aware of it my mother and father did the best they could but you know obviously they were taking care of me and working and you know just life in general and then on one dark gloomy day um we went to the doctor and it was kind of the end of the rehab, things of that nature. And he proceeded to tell me, you know, you are going to have most of your function back. Things are looking good. Um, you know, we know you're still having some pain. We know this is taking its toll mentally, emotionally, lifestyle wise. And he said, I, I do have to let you know, Andrew, that unfortunately you'll never be able to play an organized sport again. He said, you know, due to the pressure and um, hits, the next one, you know, might take you out. Mm. He's like, and so he's like, no team would even take you insurance-wise, you know, mm-hmm. to do that. And um, and he and I'd already spoke to him several times, and he knew my second option was, you know, join the U.S. Marine Corps. And he said, I hate to be the bearer of bad news all in one day, but he said the military will not accept you. He said, you're already broken. And the military doesn't like, you know, broke toys. They don't want to be in a situation to where they have someone come in who's already injured, and then they exacerbate that injury, and you hurt yourself worse. It's just that they're going to turn you down just because of the issues with your neck. So, And then all of a sudden, both of my plans were gone in one day. Not only was I never going to play football again in an organized way, but I couldn't join the U.S. military. This, you know, this, this was good... this was obviously the, the the breaking point. That day was the, the as they say the, the the straw that broke the camel's back. It, you know, it, it really was hearing those two things out mm. of the doctor mm. and realizing that they were true, and seeing my dad's face and my mother's face when. I looked at them because I, I thought, oh, okay, maybe the doctor's wrong here. But mm. when I, when they 
kind of confirmed that, yeah, this is what the situation is. You know, I, and don't get me wrong, Steve, I'm very grateful now that I was able to get full, you know, use of my legs back and, and you know, walk. And though I still deal with arthritis and, and neck pain, mm. you know, for the most part, you know, I got myself back physically. And I did attempt later on down the road to join the military a couple of times. And of course I was turned down, but, um, but yeah, that was, that, that day was the one that really um, hit me in the gut. Mm. And then after that straw, if I had any left, um, I'd say about four or six months later, kind of out of nowhere, to be honest with you. Um, I was an only child. Um, I was kind of, I guess, comparing it to Elvis, I was a little bit of a, of a mother's boy, a mama's boy, I guess you could say. <laughs> and, um, my mom, you know, was a very, you know, wonderful lady, but she'd gotten to the point to where her and my father's relationship, you know, was really just co-parenting me. So she decides, okay, Andy, you're turning 18 years old, you know, you know to take on the world and stuff. You know, I've done all, all the mothering. I will, you know, I'll always be your mother and continue to mother you, but I need to make myself a priority for a little while. So she decides that, that her and dad are going to divorce and um, she leaves the home. And so now I'm sitting there, you know, with all this news, still recovering from the neck injury, emotionally and physically, probably more emotionally at that point. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, not really knowing what my future had in store, but then my very little small family unit of me, mom and dad was being dissolved and she was leaving the home. So at that point I was just, lost i mean i really was lost hmm. and you, you you made a decision wasn't nothing planned nothing that really had ever crossed my mind before or anything i did not set a future for myself and at my age and in the situation i was in i was looking not necessarily to escape but i was really looking i didn't i didn't want to hurt anymore you know, uh, I, I guess that's the best way I can put it, Steve, is I just simply did not, I wanted to do anything I could for emotionally and physically to take the pain away, take the hurt away, whether it would be the neck, mom, not realizing the goals that I had set, you know, during my teenage years, mm -hmm. all that hurt, you know, losing my girlfriend, not really being associated with my friends anymore because of the injury. And again, I not meaning to directly connect to Elvis, but I kind of understand how that loneliness and that solitude can eat away at you. Hmm. You know, it really can. So, and obviously I was suffering with depression and things of that nature and had yet to be treated for it. So I got to a point one night dad was at work and like I said, mom had been gone for a little bit. And um, I was having a bad night. I'll just put it that way. And uh, the tears, the pain, I was reliving everything. Um, it wasn't necessarily pity, but it was just like, wow, this is not what I want. You know, this is not what, I don't know if I can survive this. So this is where, you know, the Elvis part really comes into play because one night, like I said, real bad night. And uh, dad was at work and I go into his bedroom and I'm crying and I guess I'm at the low point. I've hit the rock and um, I've hit the bottom of the barrel, you know, however you, metaphor you want to use. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd, I'd gotten a device out of the closet. Um, I had put, um, loaded that device and um I walked back in my room and sitting there, tears pouring down my face. And um, I'm sitting there on my bed in my bedroom and left hand, I'm holding the device and I'm thinking, all right, maybe I should leave. Maybe it would be better if I move on, you know, from this world. 
Yeah, let, 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 and, me just, um, let, let me just stress, you know, this this wasn't, you yeah. weren't, you weren't thinking about doing it. You were definitely going to carry this out. I was definitely, I, my intentions were, yeah. yeah. You know, I think when you're in that situation, and I, I, I'll just speak for myself here, mm-hmm. you never know until, I guess, that moment, if you were 99 or 100%, but I can say yes, I was definitely 99%. You know that I that I, I want it, I want it out because I want it to ease and take away the pain. Yeah. I, I just didn't want to hurt anymore. Yeah. So that was definitely my intention. You know, me going and getting the device and loading it and sitting there and knowing Dad wasn't home, mm-hmm. knowing mm-hmm. Mom wasn't around. Yeah. You know, it's it's not that I really had planned it. It just the the timing all seemed to kind of match up emotionally, circumstantially wise to where this seemed like the thing to do. And then, and, um, uh, sorry, yeah, sorry. Uh, and then something really, really strange happened, didn't it? Very, very. And I, and you know, I don't know what, I still to this day, I don't know what possessed me to do it because I'll be honest with you, as much of an Elvis fan as I was, he wasn't necessarily on my mind that night, you know, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sitting there just, in a, in a state of absolute depression and and pain and getting ready to do something absolutely just, you know, foolish. And um, I had my CD player set beside my bed on my dresser. And I already had a CD in, so I hit the power button. And I'll be honest, I, I didn't know what CD I had in, um, in the tray. So I hit the power button, and I'm sitting there, and I think I'm subconsciously maybe – trying to delay myself, trying to give myself a reason not to do something stupid. And um, I was like, all right, let me, you know, hit the play button. So I hit the play button. And what's in the tray? Um, It was Elvis's album, That's the Way It Is. And as I'm sure most fans know, the first track is um, Just Can't Help Believing, Mm -hmm. the B.J. Thomas song. And um, I didn't press any other buttons, didn't play with the stereo. I hit play, um, I hit power, I hit play, and I sat there. And for some reason, CD did not go to track one. It went to track 12. And that's when, and I've heard the song multiple times before, but this night, Steve, I listened. That was the difference. And I wish I had a better way to put that, but I actually listened to the song and it was Elvis singing bridge over troubled water, mm-hmm. you know, his studio master from 1970. Yeah. And, um, it started playing and I started listening to it and listen to his voice and the words and what he was saying. And, you know, so many Elvis fans, and I do believe it's true. You feel like Elvis is singing just to you. Yes. You know, you could be in a crowd in a coliseum, and you feel like he's singing that song just to you. And that night, I don't know why or how, but he was singing just to me that night. That song, those words, and um, I'm still sitting there, you know, bawling, crying, device in hand, and I think. I counted a total of 13 times that I hit the repeat button. And every time I hit the repeat button on the stereo and listened to the song, I was feeling a little bit better, a little bit maybe hopeful. Um, I noticed the tears had dried a little bit. I noticed me thinking about the words, thinking about Elvis's life, thinking about, um, and I guess I should also, you know, credit Paul Simon because it is a beautifully written song. Yes, it is. But, you know, Elvis's delivery and and the passion and the emotion and his connection to my soul or however you want to put it. And that last line, as we all know, you know, I will ease your mind. Mm. And it was actually happening. Mm. And it, it was just unbelievable. I mean, I, I get goosebumps t- telling you. Because I, I, to this day, I mean, 22 years later, and I'm sitting here and I still don't even understand how it went to track 12. But I proceeded, long story short, to listen to the song about 13 times. 
And by the end, I'm sitting there and the crying has stopped. And I've heard Elvis um, more than just hearing a song. Hmm. You know, it really sung to my soul, my, my spirit, however you want to put it. So I stood up and this was almost subconscious. I don't recall making this decision, which is very odd. But I hit pause on the city player. I stood up. I walked back in my dad's room. I opened up a case. I put the device back in the case. I unload, put put those back in their case in their little box. And I stick them two items back on my dad's top shelf in his bedroom closet. And I proceed to close the door. And I exit his bedroom. I go back into my room and I sit there for a few minutes and something's happened. Something's changed inside of me in, in this period of listening to this song and listening to Elvis's voice, sing it to me. So I'm at the point to where I was like, you know what? I think I need some sleep and I need to wake up tomorrow and see what tomorrow brings. And I hit the play button and just can't help believing starts. Wow. After it starting at the track 12, when you exactly. were... Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's amazing. And I hate to read into that. And I hate to say, oh, this, you know, I, I, I'm not a person, you know, necessarily believes in luck or signs or anything. But whether it was, you know, destiny or whether it was... um you know, a by chance situation, um, being able to hear that song. And then oddly enough, I hit the play button again and it's just can't help believing. Mm. So I, I put myself to bed and, um, I listened to the album. I fall asleep to the album and I wake up the next day. And, um, you know, obviously since then, 22 years of life, you have your ups and downs and, and your daily battles and struggles. And, you know, life wasn't heaven the next day. But in all sincerity, 22 years later, I've never thought about that again, you know, doing something like that mm. to myself or, or being in that position. And anytime I'm in a hard situation, whether it was when I've lost a parent or my marriage ended, or I'm battling something in my life, whether it be health-wise or, or mentally, emotionally, et cetera, I always turn to Elvis. Um, you know, it could be any song, any album. It didn't have to be, you know, that's the way it is, or Bridge Over Troubled Water, though it is still obviously a go-to for me yeah. and very, very special to me, yeah. more than I can even have words for. But, um, but yeah, I mean, if it wasn't for Elvis that night, um, I wouldn't have my boys and my grandbabies and um, probably wouldn't be here on the phone with you. Well, as the title of this uh, episode says, you know, Elvis Presley saved my life. And, and he did. Without doubt, he saved your life. Yeah, he, he did. He saved my life and then some. And, and what was great about it is he saved my life, but then with being able to continue to research and listen to him, not only was he a passion, a joy and a love in my life and I enjoyed his music, but I was able to take that into eventually it being a part of my career as I became a journalist and I wrote things about Elvis and did little pieces on him off and on and things of that nature. So every aspect of my life from that moment on, has been Elvis has been involved in and you know throughout the years in in all the ways I can mm. and even the one reason I'm talking to you today is you know I want to be able to give him as much thanks and as much credit um, as I can I've always wanted to honor and thank him in any way I can by sharing his legacy his music you know, not pressing upon anybody, hmm. but anyone who's open to it, yeah, you know, hey, come listen to this, or let me burn you a CD, or whatever the case may be. And um, when we, when I had my second son, we named him Garen, and um, obviously Elvis's little twin brother, hmm. who sadly was still born, was Jesse Garen, mm -hmm. you know, G-A-R-O-N. 
So my youngest son, that's his name, Garen. So that was one way that, a very small way of me trying to honor Elvis and his legacy. And then actually just this past year, my oldest son, Gabriel, and his wife decided um, I was going to have a granddaughter. They were going to have a little girl, and we were very excited about it. They they didn't tell me. They hadn't asked me about it. Mm. They, you know, I had no idea. They just said, oh, by the way, we're going to name her Presley. And they spell it differently. But um, Yeah, just tell me how, again, it, how it's spelled. It, yeah, it's um, P-R-E-S. Um, L E I G H. Yeah, that's quite unusual, so they, but it's it, it's nice. It's it's a nice it's a nice turn yeah, on on the yeah, name. They, yeah, they said what they want to do is kind of put like a feminine aspect on it, but yet still you know make sure that you know it was Presley and they call her Lee or Lee Lee or yeah. Presley or whatever you know. And she's at, right now she's I think about six weeks old, six seven weeks old. That's nice. So that's um, nice. she's still a little thing, hmm. and she was born January fifth actually. Ooh, just, so, um, it was very, very it, close it just, to Elvis's birthday. Three days away. I tell you, <laughs> we almost saw it. Yeah. If that would have happened, that would have really been insane. Yeah. yeah. But, um, but yeah, definitely, definitely in the same week of his birthday. And so when they did that, I thought that was great. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. whether it was partially because of Elvis or or to honor him or me or whoever, or just because they liked the name. Yeah. Um, I just, I really thought that was awesome as well. So it's kind of cool to have family members that not only have I been able to share Elvis's music and trips to Memphis and things of that nature with my sons, but um, I've been able to share names that were involved with Elvis, um, et cetera, to try to continue to keep Elvis in our lives daily. You've um, you, you've been to Graceland, obviously. Yes, sir. I have been um, four times. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, I loved all four but I'll be honest, in 2014, I took both my sons. It was just me and my two boys. And uh, that was probably my favorite trip because they got to experience not just Elvis and Graceland and all that encompasses that, you know, but also Bill Street and the blues and the amazing food and the atmosphere and just all of it. And that was a trip that you know, until I'm an old man in a rocking chair, you know, I'll, I'll definitely is one of the highlights of my lo- life. Yeah. Not just because I got to go, but because I got to share it with my two boys. Yes, very special. Did you so, make it to? Did you make it to Tupelo and uh, Sun Studios and all those other things as well? Yeah, we did. We 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 made. Um, we actually drove down. Um, I think it's Highway 51. Uh, I might be wrong, but um, eventually we got down to Tupelo. Didn't spend a whole lot of time down there, but I definitely wanted them to see at least the exterior of the house mm-hmm. and stuff. And um, we got down there and visited. And then in Memphis, we we kind of did do the full tour, tour in Memphis. You know, we hit Stacks and Sun Records, and we were only there. I think I think we did a four or five day trip. But um, I want them to get you know, as much as they could in, because that's a trip financially, you know, at least in my situation, that's hard to make. You can't Mm. make it every year. Mm. You know, it's an expensive trip, I think, for anyone. So, you know, especially when you have two boys you're feeding, (laughs) 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 in in particular. Yeah. So, Um, you know, that was, I tried to get as much in, um, and I think it's really stuck with my sons. And, maybe on different levels but they're both elvis fans and um they respect and love elvis not just for what he did for me back when i was 18 but just for what he was as a man and as a performer and a musician so um i'm very grateful that i was able to do that for them but i i try to make it a point from this point on really from that day when I was 18 years old to the day today speaking with you to just do anything I can to honor him and, and share music legacy or just simply, you know, say, Hey, thanks. Mm. You know, um, can you meet anybody connected with Elvis? Um, I, I have um, come across a few, a lot of them has been online um, where I've, I've gotten lucky and I've been able to um, email with people like Jerry Schelling in the past, things mm. of that nature, mm. and ask some questions and all. 
But um, the one person who I actually got to sit with, and we actually had dinner together, and it was totally a spontaneous situation, was Charlie Hodge. Oh, Charlie, yeah. Um, what a wonderful guy. I mean, you can't say enough amazing things about him. And he was performing with um, a show there at Memories Theater in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, and me and my mother and father had went down there you know, for vacation and decided to go see the show because of Charlie. And, you know, it was a good show and all. And we had front, we were on the very front row. And my dad had a very unique sense of humor. And he started kind of bantering back and forth with Charlie, almost kind of like how Elvis and Charlie would banter back and forth with each other. And I'm sitting there kind of watching my dad and him bounce jokes off each other and tease each other and say little things back and forth. And they made each other crack up probably a hundred times, you know, just during this hour show. And I'm just sitting there in awe. I feel like I'm just an audience member watching Charlie Hodge and my dad in concert. (laughs) It was kind of hilarious, but um, surprisingly afterward, you know, we met him and I got to shake his hand and we spoke to him and all. And dad did something I, I never I never thought he'd get a yes on. Dad's like, Mr. Hodge, can we take you out to dinner? And, you know, Charlie said, you know what? I haven't ate. <laughs> so he um, got in his car and we got ours and we drove down to a restaurant there on the strip in Pigeon Forge. And um, we were very privileged and lucky enough to have a meal with him. And we probably sat there for two hours and talked to Elvis. and um, told jokes and things of that nature. And um, I was still a teenager at that time. You know, I think I was, I'd recovered enough from my injury while, you know, no longer wore neck brace or nothing, but I was still, you know, in that process. And um, that was such a treat for me, you know, because that did take my mind off of it. And um, it was, it was a great memory, a great moment. And um, what a wonderful man, you know, just his sense of humor and the way he he spoke about Elvis and his love and friendship with him, um, I'll never forget it. I'll put it that way. I mean, he really left a a mark. And um, I was always uh, I tell people as much as I'm a fan of Elvis and that you know I've always knew Charlie was a part of you know the picture from the army days to the end you know i'm also a fan of charlie hodge Mm. not necessarily because of what he did with elvis but just because he was such a humble and real human being and was so you know approachable and um, was so willing to talk about elvis you know he dad wasn't paying him or nothing we were just sitting there having a meal having a a good time and talking about elvis presley and um that's a very you know, sweet memory that I really treasure today, you know. Yeah, well, Charlie actually got Elvis through a very, very tough time. Uh, he just lost his mother. He was having to sail overseas to Germany. And uh, th- th- there's stories about, you know, Charlie uh, being bunked with uh, Elvis during the journey over there. So he kind of, he, he, you know, and I think Elvis appreciated that all his life from from you know when he was in the army right through to the very very end just what charlie did for him when he was at a, a very low point as well yeah yeah I, I agree with you and you know it's odd with with meeting charlie and spending that little bit of time with him you, you you're just very at ease with charlie mm. you know you feel like you can talk to him you can say things obviously my dad felt like he could joke with him and tease him about being short and stuff like that <laughs> you know just it was just charlie had this such he felt like family he yeah. felt like a friend automatically and um you know not many people have that ability so and i do remember speaking with mom and dad you know on the way back home after our, our our vacation and meeting Charlie and all that, you know, that, that's a very special man. And I really understand why Elvis kept him close and why they were so close. Because, you know, I think Elvis knew good people when, when he met them and, you know, was able to get to know them. And Charlie was definitely, you know, even though, like I said, I never you know, spoke to Charlie after or nothing. And obviously, you know, several years later, you know, his health got a little rough and Mm. he eventually passed. But, um, I'll always treasure that. And, um, 
he was really a very unique and wonderful man and a very open man when it came to himself and Elvis. You know, he'd be the first one to, you know, tell a joke on himself or be self-deprecating or, or whatever. But um, he was just a joy to be around. So I definitely understand why Elvis kept him around. I'll put it that way. Yeah. Uh, might be a tough question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Yeah. Um, if you could, yeah. If you could speak to Elvis one time, what would you say to him? Wow, yeah. You know, Steve, I've, I've probably asked myself that question a thousand times. And I guess in the earlier days, I had different answers. But I guess I was able to go to Elvis today. You know, me sitting here now, 22 years from the night, you know, that dark night where he did save my life. Um, the first thing I would say is thank you. And then the second thing I would tell them is, um, you know, even if they weren't around for me to introduce, hey, I have a son named Garen. I have a granddaughter named Presley. And I I want you to know that you're um, not only remembered still, and more importantly, we celebrate you. And um, what you left behind and, and everything you've done. And it almost goes from from a, not asking him a question as much as I would look at Elvis and, you know, he was human. We all know the ups and downs of his career and, and a lot of his personal life, you know, because of different persons and circumstances. But what I would have loved to be able to have done for Elvis was I don't think I could ever return the favor, but I would have loved to have just looked at Elvis and said, Hey, e, what can I do for you? Hmm. Is there anything I can do for you? Whether it's wash your car, um, you know, <laughs> something. It could be something silly or something small, or, or you know, Sharon, let me go out and buy a few CDs and give them to friends or something. What can I do, you know, to honor you and to thank you for what you've done for me and for my family? And um, that's a question I, I would have. You know, and, and knowing Elvis, he would have probably said, oh, there's no thanks needed. And, you know, there's not a thing I need, son. Mm. But um, but I would really, you know, look for a way to um, thank him. It's very hard to put into words, I yep. guess. But yep. Yep. there's some way to be able to go, you know what? Hey, you know, whether it's in life or whether it's, you know, and now that you've been gone, um, I've got your back. Um in as much way as I can, you know, I'm no one special or famous, but I've tried my part to, um, you know, share them. And I think in the ways I've done it with my boys and et cetera, um, I think generations to come, at least in my family, will know who Elvis was. They'll know his music and they won't just know how he helped me, but they'll know how important he was to millions of fans in the world. And um, that's what I just continually try to do. And that's why um, when I thought about, you know, your podcast and stuff, I thought, wow, if there's any other way that I can say thank you to Elvis, um, any opportunity I have, I better jump on it. Yeah. So that's why I reached out like I did because I was like, you know, El this story deserves to be told because I want people to know that, Elvis doesn't have to be here for him to positively affect your life or your mood or your situation. And I expect I'm not the only one that when they are having a hard day or having a hard time, they put on Elvis music and, or a movie or whatever, and um, are able to kind of escape into him or have him ease their mind the way he did mine 22 years ago. I know there's a, a lot, I, I can vouch for that as well, I know there's a lot of fans that do say that they, you know, Elvis's voice, Elvis's movie, watching a concert on television, it lifts their mood. You know, no matter how bad their day might be, a little bit of Elvis yeah, makes it yeah. better. It really does. It does. And I've heard, I even heard, you know, Paul McCartney say before, um, you know, you can put on an Elvis record and you just feel happy. Hmm. And, you know, uh, uh, not necessarily exactly agree, but it definitely soothes your mind and your soul. I'll put it that way. Even hmm. if it's a, 
a heartbreaker song or, or a ballad or something about loss or something. Mm. Um, there's something about it that soothes you, um, whether it's the music, whether it's the voice, a combination of both, or whether the, the soul and the intention that Elvis had when he sang the song, mm. it reaches you the way, in my opinion, no other artist has ever reached a fan base. It was the same for him with gospel music because he, he's gone down on record as saying that it soothes his mind when he's singing it. You know, you're right. That's a that's a a great um, way of putting it because I guess gospel music for him, you know, whether it was other artists or, or music that he had recorded was really kind of his safe haven and his go-to in times of trouble. Mm-hmm. And um, I think he would be so surprised to know that his music whether it be gospel or, 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 you know, his other recordings are that for so many, so many, many other people, you know, I think he would definitely have a big smile on his face. Um, if he was, you know, if he knew that one, that's for sure. Yeah. Andrew, I, I think I speak for a lot of people listening now, uh, to say, I think you've been very, very brave to come on and share this very emotional journey that you've had with us. Well, thank you, Steve. I, I appreciate it. And like I said, I, I just appreciate the opportunity because I just feel like I need to make every effort, you know, until I'm gone to um, celebrate and honor him and give him the credit he deserves. And um, if anyone else is, is, is having a hard time, you know, obviously there's a thousand different ways you can handle the, the hills and the valleys in life. But, um, the way I found, and I think other fans have as well, is put on an Elvis record or listen to him or spend some time reading about him or something, and um, it definitely can bring you some peace and some and and some solace. And um, I think that's a biggest part of his legacy is the gold records are. Mm. Yes, I agree. I, I agree. really do. Very well said. Thanks, Andrew, for your time. Thank you very very much. Oh, and thank you, Steve. I uh, I truly appreciate it, and I, I love your podcast, and I, I try to tune in to all your videos as much as I can. I'm a huge fan of um, of your channel. I really am. That's very kind of you. Thanks very much. And I really enjoy them, so thank you. You know, they're really, they're, you know, I think I speak for all the other fans of the podcast where it's, it's enjoyable, and being able to interact with you, yeah. you know, via the chat and things of that nature is really fun as well. Yeah, yeah. When, and, when, and debating and talking about Elvis is yeah, just fun. When, when, the fan, yeah. when fans get together, it's just great. It's like one big family. It is. It, <laughs> we have a connection. Even yeah. if we don't know each other, it could be different countries, different worlds, yeah. race, color, creed, doesn't matter. Yeah. It's If you're an Elvis fan, it's everything will be all right. It, it, it brings it brings everybody together, as you say. It doesn't matter who you are or where you are. That that common bond is Elvis. Exactly, and you know, if the world had a little bit more of that, I, you know, I think it'd be a little bit better off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree with you, hundred percent, hundred percent. Hopefully, we're all be able to get out and get back to some normalcy, and yeah. maybe you know, one of these times we can, you know, as in fans, um, can all start getting together again and going to Graceland or. Yeah. You know, just spending time with each other. I think that'd be a great thing for the whole community. Thanks once again to Andrew for sharing his very emotional Elvis story with us. I think you'll agree when I say what an incredible story it is. And once again proves the influence Elvis Presley still has on the world, even today, 44 years after his death. Don't forget, you can join me live every Wednesday and Sunday on YouTube for my Elvis live streams when a prize is up for grabs in our Elvis Fan of the Month quiz. Until next time, stay safe, and I hope you can join me next time for another episode from Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel.